Lipcast Slovakia, the podcast about Slovak literature in English. Welcome to Lipcast Slovakia. My name is Julia Sherwood and my guest today for this 23rd episode is Ivana Hostová. Ivana is a Slovak literature scholar at the Institute of Slovak Literature of the Slovak Academy of Sciences. In her research, she focuses on Slovak poetry and poetry in translation. She also translates mainly unconventional writing. Ivana has gained a PhD on the translations of Sylvia Plath into Slovak and Mila Haugová's poetry, written two books and numerous reviews and papers on poetry and translation, and edited and co-edited several volumes on literature and translation. Hello, Ivana. Welcome to Litka Slovakia. I hope you're keeping well. Hello, Julia. Thank you for inviting me and for your introduction. Your translation-related research covers many fascinating subjects. So let's start with a book you have edited, uh, Identity and Translation Trouble. This includes essays on post-communist translation practices on the role that politics played during state socialism in the translation of fiction and the subversive role that imported fiction played in that period. What changes has translation practice undergone since those days and what are the latest trends? Yes, uh, the volume uh, came out in 2017 and I was happy to be able to collaborate on it with a great uh, group of authors like uh, Michael Cronin, uh, from Trinity College in Dublin, Lada Kolomietz uh, from Ukraine, uh, Taras Shevchenko University, uh, and also Eva Palkovichova from Comenius University, who uh, was the one who discussed the history of Slovak translation of Hispanic American fiction in the socialist era when uh, this, these translations were a uh, transformative force uh, and influenced uh, uh, the original fiction as well, um, as, it, as it very often happens in totalitarian regimes. Uh, well, contemporary situation um, is uh, uh, to a certain extent still a, a kind of a product of uh, what was happening in the 1990s. So, so just uh, after the uh, totalitarian uh, regime collapsed in 1989 well, in Slovakia, uh, the situation in the literary field, uh, the whole society, of course, uh, was very dynamic and chaotic, of course. Uh, so there were uh, the, the large state-controlled publishing houses stopped functioning, were reduced in size, small publishers emerged, and all these uh, struggled with finding new ways of financing. So um, these needed to adapt to the market economy. And consumer culture kind of uh, so um, uh, what 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 was a major change uh, is is the the source uh, source languages uh, changed pretty much uh, because uh, well if, if we take a look at the numbers um, well last year Lubica Pleshovska and Natalia popolcova Glovatsky uh, gave a comprehensive overview and uh, when, when we look at that, uh, in 1989, uh, more than half uh, of the production of uh, book production 
uh, was what were or production of translation uh, translations um, to be precise uh, was from Russian. So um, almost fifty uh, percent of all production of translations in Slovakia are translations of American literature nowadays. And half of these, or more than half of these, are purely commercial. Uh, they are contemporary romances and suspense fiction. So uh, when we uh, compare it to, for example, poetry, uh, well, that, that represents uh, less than 1% of uh, the whole production. So um, I'm mentioning these numbers just to illustrate uh, the overall situation so that we can imagine uh, what it looks like. Uh, and also, uh, one has to take into account that, uh, I don't have exact numbers at hand right now, but uh, out of all publishing outputs in Slovak, certainly more than half are translations. So translation uh, or translated literature does play a major role uh, in shaping uh, our, our present, our culture and language, but it's... Uh, are not always uh, kind of aesthetically uh, demanding uh, so-called artistic literature. Uh, so, but but to return to the changing publishing conditions, uh, which of course are crucial to the existence of uh, translations, uh, the sudden lack of planning on the national level and the changing of the mechanisms uh, of uh, state support uh, for book production was. Uh, obviously a great shock. <laughs> uh, so uh, what happened is that uh, enthusiasts and entrepreneurs founded hundreds of presses with varying agendas and varying sizes of output. And uh, well, mo most of this production uh, was and still is driven by market demands. But uh, to, to come to uh, the literature we're probably more interested in, um, those who uh, wish to publish literature based on its aesthetic value, not audience size, uh, had to seek other sources of financing. And well, uh, in the 1990s, uh, it was uh, rather difficult uh, if there were non-commercial publishers because uh, uh, the regime of, uh, of uh, the so-called Mechiarism, uh, which was verging on a new uh, totalitarian, uh, was... Uh, uh, was kind of uh, uh, reserved uh, uh, financing uh, of uh, literature and culture for those who supported the state ideology, to say it very crudely. So independent publishers uh, turned to various uh, international organizations or foundations and so on. But since the late 1990s, and now we're getting uh, to the present slowly, <laughs> Uh, the system of uh, distributing subsidies uh, became more open and favorable. And in 2015, the new uh, Slovak uh, Art Council was established. However, uh, it is still, still not enough for very systematic publishing of translations, especially of poetry. And uh, But uh, in many cases, also for, for fiction, I mean... Uh, so uh, much of the work and effort really lies with uh, small publishers or with uh, translators who are also serve as agents uh, who choose the work for translating. And sometimes even from what I know, also negotiate the copyrights and so on. Um, 
so but but my my main field is uh, poetry so uh <laughs> publishing uh, poetry in translation even in uh translation dominated culture such as uh, uh slovak uh culture is is uh, has become a demanding and quite uh, unprofitable <laughs> enterprise uh especially when it comes to contemporary or innovative poetry um so even even within the circle of professional readers um, it is a kind of marginal genre so this this is a situation but uh well generally many many people active in the field of uh translation and translation studies and comparative literature are of the opinion that uh translation and selection and the whole process of editing and so on uh was on a more professional level during the state socialism so but well that's uh that's one side of the thing of course uh, the other one is uh, that uh, there was no freedom of choice really uh, so that concerned mainly classics uh, but uh, currently of course uh, there are quite a few engaged publishers and translators who do make efforts uh, to be acquainted with uh, what is going on in the world literature and uh, also in individual national literatures and there are quite a few admirable projects and initiatives we can be really happy about so thank you for this really comprehensive overview of translations of uh poetry and translations in general into Slovak. But uh, you've also done a lot of research that goes in the other direction. And when we first met uh, in September 2015 at a conference in Bristol on translating the literature of the small European nations, uh, you gave a talk of, on translations of Slovak poetry into English. And since then you have done more research on this subject. So looking at the quantity of Slovak poetry in English, I think we could be quite proud what are the latest figures by your count? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so, um, as my my research uh, shows, or from from what I found out uh, during the past three decades, uh, Slovak poems in English translation appeared in more than a hundred volumes, and amount to no less uh, than uh, two thousand five hundred poems by some 150 authors and 50 translators. I don't know if you want me to talk about this a bit more. Uh, I'm just uh, staggered by this figure, but maybe numbers are one uh, part of the story, but maybe we should focus on the quality of the translation. And also, I think I'd be really interested to hear more about the different routes that Slovak poetry has taken into English translation, because that's something you have studied. At that Bristol conference, uh, Czech literature scholar Andrzej Wimmer introduced the term supply-driven translation, uh, that is translation that compensates for the lack of demand in a target culture. And I think some of it is probably also the case in Slovakia. And the Slovene literature trans, uh, scholar and translator Olivia Halliwell has since done some interesting research into supply-driven translation of Slovene literature. And she has identified three drivers of such translations, institutional, personal and academic. You have also identified three types of agenda driving these projects, but they're slightly different from Olivia's. So could you talk us through them? Mm-hmm. Uh... I'll try to be brief. <laughs> so, uh, 
the three agendas uh, that uh, I, I identified uh, from that corpus I mentioned, like this uh, 2,500 poems and 100 volumes, uh, were uh, individual self-promotional agenda. Uh, the second one was uh, export-oriented uh, national projects. And the third uh, agenda was our, the third group of projects uh, uh, encompassed international ones, uh, international endeavors. Uh, so uh, the first group uh, are typically, these are typically solitary efforts. They can be handed out in various meetings, uh, literary events, or cultural, even political, social gatherings. Uh, it's a prototypical uh, space where they, they are dis distributed. And there is a rule, a reach a very uh, small audience and function as uh, promotional uh, material, gifts, or just happen to exist because the author was uh, had, had the, the wish to self-translate and often also self-publish his or her poems. So this is um, kind of outsider projects, or, or to a certain extent in some cases, of course. Uh, so the second group uh, aims at... Uh, these are the these uh, uh, national projects, export-oriented national projects, uh, and uh, these aim at uh, promotion of the national literature, and are uh, potentially more successful in uh, permeating into the target culture, and mainly because uh, the joint uh, efforts of individuals and institutions uh, make it uh, into a quality product, or uh, or the, the there are possibilities uh, to make it a quality product. Uh, an example of this uh, is a well, uh, very well-prepared anthology of Slovak literature of the 20th century, uh, 100 years of Slovak literature, which uh, I checked before the, uh, the interview is out of print, but uh, available in at least 20 libraries over the world. So it is accessible. And the third group, these uh, are the most uh, successful projects and they are able to attract uh, the greatest amount of uh, attention and uh, they usually combine national international and transnational actors translators editors publishers and so on um, and I can mention for example Mila Haugova that was uh, uh, that has had uh, two selections of her poetry published uh, in uh, the translation of uh, James Sutherland Smith with his co-translators, which uh, who vary, uh, there were two. Uh, uh, currently, I hope there will soon be also Ivan Strupka published. <laughs> uh, he was uh, spoken about in one of the previous podcasts, I, I think. Yes, I very much hope so. I know that John Minahane has translated a collection of his poetry, but uh, as far as that last time I heard, he hadn't found a publisher, but I do hope that changes. And another poet uh, uh, that uh, actually hasn't been mentioned very much uh, in, in our podcast is uh, Nora Ružičková. Uh, she's someone you have written about and also translated. So can you tell us a little bit about her work? Um, of course, uh, she uh, is a key poet uh, of the generation that uh, made their debuts in the 1990s. Uh, so uh, it's uh, 
this was the generation that recreated the autonomous uh, field of uh, Slovak literature in a way uh, after the state controlled uh, state controlled environment changed into uh, what what it is now uh, so her work is uh, deeply immersed in various media and uh, she has a background in the visual arts uh, which unlike literature have the great advantage of not being seen as identity bearers and are therefore more liberated. Uh, so her projects uh, range from, from uh, text-based poetry in the sense of creative writing uh, through uh, sound poetry, conceptual poetry. Um, she also holds, uh, has uh, exhibitions and uh, performances in galleries and festivals. Uh, she often collaborates uh, with other artists and other translators, critics, and so on. But most often with uh, uh, Mariana Mlinarchikova, who is also a, a visual artist. Uh, Nora merges research procedures with institutional critique and post-conceptual methods or conce conceptual methods. Uh, but not just that, of course. Um, she was also one of the first women poets to enter the male-dominated experimental part of the literary field in the 1990s. And uh, she's been inspired by feminism and deconstruction. And she's also a translator from German. Uh, so her first book of poetry, uh, Mikronautia or Micronauts, uh, came out in 1998 and uh, combined her interest in the visual arts uh, feminisms and poetry uh, with an accent on the speaking persona's self-scrutiny and uh, she kind of investigated the, the speaking subject or uh, or through the subject investigated the world language and so on uh, her second book uh, Osnova Utok Warp and Weft uh, tackles the relationship between text body and textile and uh, her later projects uh, continued in these traces, uh, but at the same time open to more conceptual approaches. Um, and are often, uh, especially recently, uh, part of a series. Uh, so, for example, that can be an exhibition, often interactive, within a book, a performance by actors, uh, performance can be filmed or photo documented, and then published as a pamphlet uh, with a commentary and so on. As an example of her recent work, I can mention her book uh, ABC, uh, which she co-authored with uh, Maria Namlinarchikova. Uh, the book investigates the relationships between the visual culture, power, uh, and uh, capitalist mechanisms of commodification. Uh, also uses the, the technique of fragmentation and uh, objectification of the always already ma mediated experience of the world. Um, I mean, uh, these appropriated textual fragments are montaged into a kind of um, divisualized Debordian film. It's a, it's a kind of uh, stroboscope, but a series of lighter and darker textual synapses that make uh, visible the what we what we commonly uh, do not see or do not uh, pay attention to uh, it's usually uh, structural violence or very often it is 
Um, this is certainly a book I would love to see in English translation. I hope that we can uh, include links to some of the poetry of hers that has been translated into English by yourself and maybe by some someone else. Or are you the only person so far to have translated her into English? Uh, there have been translations. Uh, I am uh, not quite sure how uh, how really available they are. I mean, if they can be get to, but uh, there certainly have been more translations. Great. We'll try and find them and uh, include the links uh, in the notes to this podcast. And so, moving on to another poet and uh, and a prose writer who's been your regular collaborator and whom you've translated, Peter Machowski. Uh, we discussed his novel, uh, Mikaj Kostlitsami, Making Skeletons Dance, uh, in an earlier podcast with John Minahane, but we haven't really talked about his poetry yet. So can you characterize his uh, poetic output? Well, uh, his poetry has always been subversive and critical. That's probably a thing to start with, uh, both in form and motives. And, uh, it's been critical and subversive towards all sorts of uh, institutions and preconceived ideas uh, in the sense of institutional critique, but uh, also in the sense of uh, criticizing uh, stereotypes of um, all sorts. Uh, what is also specific for his poetry is that it is written from a position of an intellectual with a mixed identity with respect to Slovak literature and culture. Uh, he's a Slovak-Hungarian who's been living outside of Slovakia for more than a decade now. So he has the, the advantage of a critical distance and his writing is always um, in an intense dialogue with other poetries as well. Uh, especially Hungarian and American, uh, but he also widely reads, uh, also translates and um, works with uh, other literatures, uh, Brazilian, Chinese, um, all sorts of marginalized or half-forgotten classics, uh, and as well as, uh, of course, contemporary critical theory. So all these, this very exciting mix of um, inspirations. Um, his uh, conceptual uh, techniques evoke also ancient ways of texting, and he also uh, pointed this out in one of his uh, books in um, afterward. Uh, so, because uh, what can in a certain milieu be seen as innovative might as well be a variation of, let's say, medieval procedure. <laughs> Uh, so uh, another thing uh, that is interesting uh, about his writing is that he uses translation as one of his authorial methods. Uh, so he blurs lines between the original and appropriated authorial and translational and so on. Um, I can mention one of his uh, more recent uh, collections, Santa Panica, uh, which is a kind of... Uh, verbal enactment of a fractal uh, but not uh, it's not a me mechanical following of the procedure it uh, combines uh, conscious and intuitive selective process uh, with this method uh, the collection can be thought of uh, as, a, as a slowly disintegrating fractal whose parts gradually become the soil for the subsequent growth of the text so it's very exciting as to the form uh, he used uh, 
he uses uh, a phrase from a book on karma as a seminal point uh, for the, this collection. And uh, the further growth of the text can be paralleled with the development of a homoeretic system. So it's very organic in a way. And the regular pattern uh, of the first part of the collection is broken by the intrusion of poems partly springing from the corresponding paragraphs and partly infected by a parasitic element of panic. So it's the title of the collection, Santa Panica. Uh, both uh, as uh, an intruding lexeme and as a characteristic of the composition. Uh, so uh, this irregular irregularity uh, behaves uh, both uh, as an intruder and uh, paradox paradoxically also as a, a kind of order-reinforcing mantra. Uh, so the form is ex extremely interesting and inspiring in the sense of um, switching between perceiving the abstract patterns and their dissolution and the very concrete images and very also emotions. Sounds absolutely fascinating. And this blurring of lines between identities and uh, styles and uh, sources of inspiration, uh, really quite, quite fascinating. And in a way it, uh, so it takes me to my final question, which is uh, that one of the things that has really cheered me up in these uh, weird uh, COVID times uh, have been your posts on Facebook. These little snippets that you post uh, in a variety of languages, and uh, they're often are very absurd uh, juxtapositions, which speak to these strange times we live in, and they actually have a strange kind of poetry. So are these, uh, where do they come from? Are they from, are they excerpts from translations you're working on or random things you come across in your readings? Uh, can you enlighten us and also uh, tell us what you're working on at the moment? Yes, thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy. Uh, the, the function of my snippets uh, was uh, fulfilled uh, because the main function of, the, of these posts is to keep or to try to preserve some kind of sanity in this uh, time of uh, extreme isolation. Uh, so we virtually connect with the world. But uh, yeah, uh, to answer your question, uh, there are excerpts uh, from all sorts of texts I came across during uh, research of researching of one topic or another, but also from translations. Also, there are some of, some of them are my thoughts uh, that uh, go on, go go on in my head, and there is no one else, no one to tell. So I tell my social <laughs> media account. Uh, but uh, at, the, at the same time, uh, all the time I was I was doing that, I was also thinking about uh, what. Um, the British poet Maggie O'Sullivan uh, said in one of uh, the interviews that she collects language. She collects fragments uh, of um, overheard phrases uh, and um, fragments of words even. And I, I think that in this way, we are all uh, collectors. Um, so my collection is, is visible <laughs> and uh, published in this very outsider way. Uh, but uh, a large part of uh, those quotations you probably noticed were from a book I was translating recently, and it's uh, The Collector by John Fowles, uh, which is uh, coincidentally uh, 
the narrative is about uh, a girl held captive. <laughs> so uh, it, it uh, resonated with the present uh, situation. But what was uh, admirable about that character uh, was her will to live. And despite the harsh conditions, despite the, her questioning her own identity and abilities. So that's probably a positive message for all of us in these times. Certainly is, and thank you very much for sharing these uh, your your collections of language and fragments. And thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. And uh, good luck with everything, with uh, keeping keeping your sanity. Especially, we all need that. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.